Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Gear uh, Live Q8 number 52. Uh, so as first, as always, we do a shout out to the friends that make this happen. To the original group, Bradulus, Jeff Howes, Zachary Rowe, Michael Newman, Bruce Garris, Hannah Gunson, John Jex. Sorry about that. All right, back to uh, John Jex, Michael Shy, Justin Maybe, David Madison, and Lawrence Petros uh, from LPD Pedals. We all know him. Uh, and then, of course, the new crew, which is Bob Pickwood, Tim, of course, just Tim, uh, John Levitt, uh, Space Jazz, uh, Alvaro, and Luis from Pedal Pal Effects, uh, Ricky Robinson, James Biles, uh, Chuck Keen, Chris Glaze, Dylan87, Jonathan Pickering, Joe Watson, Brent O'Dell, Russ from Taurus Pedals, uh, one of the first pedals I think I ever reviewed on this channel, and uh, Michael Lindner. Uh, thank you guys again. You guys make this happen every week and to everyone else that does the patron that make everything else happen. I just want to say thank you first and, uh, and, uh, here we go. Hey everyone. First, let me tell you the most important thing, which is I have just spent four days in a row in bed with a fever. <laughs> so, um, the flu hit me pretty hard. I got it Monday. I'm pretty sure I missed Namthrax because it took a week after the show. I'm pretty sure what happened was my daughter also has the flu. She brought it home and I got sick. Uh, this is one of the worst flus I've had in about a decade. Um, it's the, uh, my wife and I couldn't even remember the last time I've been in bed uh, sick much more a day, maybe a day and a half tops ever, much less four days straight, literally Monday through yesterday. Today is the first day I'm among the living. Uh, my goal all week was to get well enough to do the live show. So that's first to explain that. Second to also explain why no one's got anything back from me. I, I know there's dozens of emails. Um, I was so uh, just out of it. I just didn't do anything. Uh, just slept. It was pretty miserable. So I'm, I'm happy to be alive uh, and with everybody. And uh, and uh, actually, this has been the highlight now, being able to talk to you guys, especially since I can't get any of you guys sick because uh, it doesn't travel through the internet. At least I hope not. It's not going to come through the microphone. Uh, so let's see what's going on out there. Uh, hopefully everybody had a much better week than me. I was told it was pretty bad and to be weary of it. I felt it coming on a little bit. Uh, I think Friday last week during the live show, believe it or not, my throat was getting a little sore and hoarse. And by Monday, it was just knocked me dead. But I have so much exciting stuff to share that I couldn't be excited about all week because I was sick. I, I wasn't excited about today. Uh, so uh, so let's let's get into it. Uh, let's do some questions and let me share some information. And, uh, the first thing I want to do besides hit some questions is to tell you some exciting news. So let me give you some exciting news. I have lots of it. So I'll piece it out through the, through the, the live show today. The first really cool piece of live news, uh, live news. I should, is it live news? I guess it's live news. The first piece of really cool news for me is I got an email today from, uh, Warwick who let me know that my base is ready and it's being shipped today or tomorrow. I'm going to show it to you. You guys are going to be the first to see it. Here it is right here. Uh, this is my Warwick custom made streamline, uh, uh, streamliner base. This is a solid piece of maple. This is the piece I cut out. Some of you may know and some of you don't know, I changed the color. So this is ocean turquoise. I did not go with the purple. I changed it or ocean turquoise uh, because of see how dark these these sides are. I, I was thinking about it long and the piece of wood I picked out, it had some discolorization in it that I really liked. In fact, I'm going to show you the back. 
and you can see how dark it got on the sides. And I wasn't sure how much of that was going to be in the actual instrument. And I thought that darker color, and you can see right here was like kind of greened a little bit, would really green nicely with that blue. So I picked that. The other change I made after the discussion at GitCon was I changed the hardware to black. Everything else was kept standard. And if you're looking at this base and it looks a little short, it's because it is. It's a 32-inch scale base. This is a base I have been dreaming about uh, since, no joke, my son was born. I, uh, I've been a Warwick player since 1999. And uh, in 99, 98, uh, 98, 99, when I bought my first Warwick, I uh, started getting fascinated with the Stuham 32-inch scale urge base, which I currently own. And I've been wanting a 32-inch scale uh, Warwick base for so long. And so when I got the opportunity to go to GitCon, uh, that was something I hadn't planned from the minute I got offered to go. I wanted to talk about doing this and I can't believe they did it for me. This is going to be the most exciting thing uh, for me because it's such a long time. In fact, I'm a little scared because as you can imagine, that's a long time to wait for something. But, uh, but given I've had so much to do with the involvement of it being made, I, I'm pretty sure I'd be pretty, pretty good. Uh, so there you go. All right. So since a lot of you probably don't care about bases, that's the base talk for the show. Um, all right. Any good questions uh, out there? Anything interesting? Um, oh, Warren Parker's got a great question because it's something that actually happened to me this week. Um, in and out of my fever <laughs> movements, I was surfing the internet a lot because uh, you can only watch Netflix and surf the internet. Uh, one of them was, uh, his question was, hey, Phil, which one, the DSL 20 or the 6505? So as you guys know, I talked about that last show that I was thinking about getting the DSL 1 or the 20. I wasn't sure which one. I currently own a 6505 Mini, and I pulled the 6505 Mini out to say, hey, do I really want the Marshall when there's the DS or the, uh, the 6505? I have that one. I played the 6505, and I really have come to the conclusion that I'm going to sell my 6505 and get the DSL-20. And the main reason is, is I think the DSL-20 is clean will just be a little bit better, and I think the distortion fits my needs a little bit better. The 6505 has a lot of gain, and I have an LBX. So uh, if you're at, you're saying which one, I can only tell you what I was going to do, and that's what my plan is. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead. I've decided to go DSL-20 over 6505 Mini. A lot of my reasoning, so you know, has to do with the fact that I have currently have the LBX. I like the LBX distortion slightly better than the 6505, although the LBX doesn't have a clean because I have the first one, not the second one, because I decided uh, that's the one I liked. So um, to to reiterate, that's that's where I'm going. But so, you know, I had the same question in my head before I went to order the DSL 20. I thought, do I really need that when I have a 6505 mini? And I really like the 6505 mini. It's it's an amp that's interesting enough for me is 90 percent there. In other words, it's I, I like it, but I just don't love it, and I can't figure out what it is about it, and I, I don't know what it is. So I'm hoping the DSL kind of scoops in that little bit. So, but uh, if you're interested, Warren, I uh, always make a habit never to get rid of an amp or anything, a pedal or guitar, until I get the new one and know I like it. So uh, maybe I can do a shootout between those two amps. If that's something interesting, let me know in the comments. So, um, next one, next question we have is uh yeah here's a good question from jeremy hey phil do you have any experience with the fender champion 600 5 watt amp yes i do uh i had one for a long time if you guys don't know what it is uh fender made a it's originally there was original one but now it's a reissue it's tan in like um 
it's not red. I'm trying to think what color it is. It's not brown. It's like tan and brown, but it's like really like a reddish brown, uh, you know, vinyl look to it. Really classy looking amp. They were like $1.99 new until Fender stopped making them. Um, it was definitely a, an amp that you sold a lot on Impulse because it's like, you know, 200 bucks, you get a little five watt tube amp. Um, it has basically one volume knob, as I remember correctly. I don't think it had a tone control, but if it did, it only had two knobs. Uh, I'm doing off memory because it's been a few years since I own mine. Um, that was a great amp. I've seen a lot of people turn them into little heads. Uh, my experience with that is if you really dig that kind of sound, there's a lot of people who really like those low wattage five watt amps, just no features, no frills, just turn them to 10 and play. It's great. Um, as a paddle, pedal platform, it works, but only at low volumes. So, you know, um, as soon as you turn up the amp kind of dirty so quickly the, that the pedals will push that even more. And unlike a Marshall with a tube screamer where you're pushing the amp into this like sweet area, I found it just, it, it made the, the amp not sound so great. So uh, as a pedal platform late at night, it works, but anything, anything with moderate volume, you got nothing. Uh, Cheddar Kung Pao did a super chat. Uh, Nightwolf Fund. Yeah, I did. Hey, you know what? I, it's funny about that. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a while since I've been sick. I got a cold when I came back from GitCon, but nothing really bad. Um, I bought NyQuil. This is going to sound so stupid. And it was like $12. And I was like, what the heck? Um, now I got it at the drugstore, not the grocery store. So I guess my wife said she, when she got the grocery store, it was $8. But I was like, I thought it was like five bucks for, so NyQuil apparently, man, talk about a missed investment in NyQuil. It has more value than gold. By the way, um, Cheddar, I did get your email, but like I said, I wasn't responding to anybody. Your shirt, the reason you didn't get your shirt is I have it. They sent it to me. I don't know. I've never dealt with Teespring on this issue before in the past when the t-shirts, when I, when I sent t-shirts people, what I did is I purchased them just like you guys do, but I put it to a different address. Uh, they sent it actually to my uh, credit card billing PO box. So I know for a fact, that's the issue. They, they, they didn't send it to you for some reason. They sent it to my, the credit card billing address. So uh, uh, my wife says she's going to take care of it and get it out for me. So it's going to come, she's going to resend it to you. And then I'll find out for everybody else if that's going to be something they're going to do, because if they're not going to ship it to the address I want it shipped to, I'm going to have to find a new way to do this. So again, T-Chip wasn't that difficult when it comes to that situation, but, and I double checked and it didn't show where I did anything wrong. I put in your address correctly and everything. It just didn't, it didn't care what address I wanted to send it to. They sent it to the billing address. Um... Ben says, hey, Phil, what's going on with Carbon? They're coming back. Did someone buy the name? Any insight if they're going to be staying in the U.S. or going import? Okay, so I can tell you exactly what I know about Carbon. So as you guys know, the owner of Carbon, who's like 71 or 74 years old, he's definitely in his 70s, he's, he's retired at this point. They own like a avocado uh, farms and they have apartment buildings or some other ventures. At this point, that's where the driving force for the carbon ending is, is, is the let the children take over. So the children, I believe, uh, successors are now going to continue the carbon name. And at this point, I, I, I can only tell you the short-term goal. I can tell you what their long-term projection is. They're implying the amps are coming back. That's implied. I didn't hear that for officially. Officially, what I can tell you is this. They brought back two pedals. If you guys know, they did that Steve I amp pedal, uh, that, you know, the big preamp pedal. They've gone ahead and take that technology and said, okay, we're going to bring back a carbon amp. So there's two giant pedals is what's available. And so if you go to their website, if you look, there's, there's pictures of all the amps and some wireless systems. But what I see you can actually purchase and what's branded to sell. And what I saw at the NAMM show was the two pedals. So those pedals are made overseas. 
And they are using a term like the word map. So it implies maybe instead of direct to consumer, they're gonna be selling to stores. To, so to answer your question, here's what I, we know. They are going overseas. As far as I know, there's no interest or no uh, no foreseeable uh, uh, projection that they're gonna be a USA made company anymore. Um, the, the products basically were made in the USA, but a symbol for mostly parts in China, like everything else. So I think the logic is, just go ahead and go there. Those pedals are 500 bucks a piece. So they're kind of pricey, but you know, uh, a lot of people really like the Steve I preamp. I never played it. So I don't know. I can't tell you anything about it. Um, if Carvin ever watches a video like this, I'd be highly interested to review those products. Again, like I said, I don't charge anything. Um, you can even have the products back as long as you pay the return shipping uh, to review them. Cause I'd be curious to, to, to see, you know, right. I've been a fan of Carvin forever and I'd like to see the Carvin legacy go on, e even if it's kind of changed a little bit to this kind of warm. And, um, so there you go. And uh, if you're asking about uh, Steve I and what's going on, I've heard two actually interesting different stories. I heard one story that Steve I um, was given a bunch of carbon amps or that he has a, plenty of carbon amps and he's going to continue to play them for a long period of time. Interesting enough, that story makes a lot of sense to me because the other story kind of backs that, which is Steve I uses a lot of Axe effects. Even though he still uses real amps, uh, you know, he's using Axe effects more and more. So it's not like he's not going to use the carbons and just use Axe effects. But at this point, amps aren't as important to his sound as maybe that process Axe effects system is. So um, it makes sense to me, right? He doesn't need a new amp line because he just needs some amps for probably live shows, maybe to capture some kind of mic sounds or, you know, just get a little vibe but otherwise he can he can perform a lot with axe effects so we all know that anyone knows steve vifer you know his music knows he's been in a he's been a guru of effects processing since you know all of us have been playing guitar um robert davidson just did a super chat thank you robert that was really nice of you i appreciate that um i'm also warning you guys i have a cough drop in my mouth so i hope it's not clicking or anything making any sounds when i'm talking i apologize for that and again i'm trying not to cough um or blow my nose during this entire broadcast. So we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, David's got a weird question. I like this, David. David Kornblatt says, Phil, go over why the Stratocaster is the best rock guitar of all time, please. First reason is it was set on fire and it still plays. I mean, uh, you know, I always used to tell people all the time, they're like, is, you know, what's a real dependable guitar? Stratocaster. I mean, they set it on fire, they smash them, and they still play them. So the best reason for it's a rock guitar, I can tell you right now, Stratocaster, uh, regardless of how you feel about it, as a gigging machine, it, it is really built to be a, an incredibly abused, ab heavily abused guitar, especially the modernized Stratocaster, you know, with the newer truss rods and... Uh, some of the newer features in them, they just take a lot of abuse. You know, there's something about a solid piece of maple wood and an older body. It just takes a lot of uh, abuse. Now, uh, pickups are a different situations. Sometimes people don't figure the single coils are very rock and roll, or they also pick up a lot of noise from live shows. That can be fixed very easily with humbuckers or anything like that. So that's the main reason why it's the best rock guitar of all time. It takes abuse. And here's the other part. The other part is this, it's think of it, a guitar as an ingredient, you know, um, the more it's used, the more you get used to the idea of it. So like salt and pepper, um, used in so many different kinds of food, everything from, you know, uh, Korean food to Mexican food to, you know, even the American hamburger to, to whatever it is, salt and pepper is a very universal, uh, seasoning used in a lot of things. So 
you could go to many cultures and they would all find that to be almost a pleasing taste because it's so universally used, unlike some other more finite ingredients, you know, or spices. That being said, the Stratocaster has been used in so much music across so many genres that your ear, like your taste bugs, just detect it as being commonly used. And it's just something that most people pick up and, and they're okay with. So if that helps. Uh, Ian's got a super chat question. It says, if I had to pick between, oh, sorry, if I had to, he's asking me, if I had to pick between a 100 watt 212 Fender Champion, okay, I've actually owned that amp, and or the 100 watt 212 Fender Frontman, uh, what amp would you choose? Oh, you know what? I lied just now. It's the it's the Frontman I had, the 212 Frontman. Um, I currently have the 40 watt Champion. Uh, which one would you use? Are they the same amp with a different name? You know, uh, so to, to answer your question, uh, it's funny how, how time changes the way you think. I think a year ago, if you would ask me, I would have told you the frontman was the better amp of the two. For some reason, I like the solid state power section versus the new digital kind of stuff that's in the champions. But over time, I've really grown to really like the champion stuff. Um, the Fender frontman had a spring reverb, and I thought that was really cool to have an actual spring in there. But no, overall, I find the champion to be equally as good in any way and at, to actually have a couple extra features. So, um, and one of the concerns that I thought was going to be nice was the frontman because it's more of a solid state analog technology. It took pedals better. I find the champion takes pedals just as well. So, um, although I could honestly say the frontman maybe <sighs> here's where the fight ends. The frontman, if I was to say it slightly sounds better to me, because I think the solid state analog technology sounds slightly better than digital. Okay. And some of you guys, if you're confused what I mean by that, when I say solid state versus digital, solid state means literally components, analog components, transistors, resistors, things that are used to create the sound versus digital, which means a chip is creating somehow the sound. Okay. My, my point is, that although I think there's a couple sound uh, things that I, I prefer the frontman with, I think the champion overall wins with features and just it's a better class amp. So there you go. Um, now, the only caveat to that is if you were to tell me that you found a frontman for like, let's say, half the price or dirt cheap, I would say you're not missing out anything if you saved a lot of money. OK, but if they're about the same price, if you're looking at champion frontman used, there you go. But I hope that I hope that helps. Um, shut up. Let's talk said cheers, Phil. What's the lowest price custom guitar I could have built for me? Wanted a strap body with a wizard style neck. As far as I know, and some of you guys will may have some great comments. That's what's great about having a community. The community mind is going to be way better than mine. Um, cause the experiences, right? Everybody's has got experience seeing something I haven't seen. When you, when you want a custom made strat style guitar for a low price, I think Kiesel, um, there's a Strat style guitar they make. They actually have a thin neck profile that you can add to it. And I'm pretty sure you can get in and out of their system with that particular model for under $1,500 with those kind of features. And that's rounding up a little bit. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I really think if you try really hard, you can squeeze through for like the $1,200 price, right? Keep in mind, an American professional Stratocaster is $1,500. So I think you can get a Kiesel with all the features you want for that same price point. Um, Another contender for that would be GNL guitars. Although GNL does have a thin profile neck, I don't think it gets as thin as Kiesel, but it is thin. So, you know, it's a thin. And wizard style is tricky. None of them are going to have an actual wizard 19 millimeters at the uh, first fret thick, 21 millimeters at the 12 fret thickness. Uh, that's, I think, the wizard style's official. You'd have to go to Ibanez, guys, but I'm doing this off memory. Official 
you know, dimensions or thicknesses for that neck. Um, but it'll be close. You know, it won't get you 19 to 21. It'll get you like probably 20 to 22 millimeters. Still close enough. Actually, I think it's just a little slightly better. Just thin enough to feel like it, but not so thin that it doesn't feel right. So the, uh, hold on. And there was a one comment I missed somehow. I'm trying to get to all of them real quick, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, it disappeared. Well, I don't know how to get it back. Okay, so we'll go to the next question. Um, uh, Tom, uh, this is something we talked about last week, but it's a great follow-up. Marshall Origin Amps Impressions. Uh, again, there wasn't really any to play at the show. They had some that they demoed, but nothing for you to actually play. It's because, I, like I said, I, I got the vibe. There was some prototypes they were showing um, and maybe not even non-working models. I'm not sure. I'm sure because it's coming out. I'm super stoked about the idea. I've been talking about this for years. This is what I think Marshall should have been doing five years ago when the small amp revolution kind of started. They allowed... Companies like Friedman, who make great amps, and uh, Blackstar to basically take market share from them. And there's no reason. You know, Fender hasn't let anybody take market share from them. Fender is still a dominant amp company. And um, in fact, even though you have Supro and you have tons of uh, great amplifiers out there competing with Fender, Fender has made uh, has not let anybody take over the market from them. And Marshall, I felt, let a lot of that happen, uh, take some, some market share from them. And although I'm sure Marshall's doing fine, my instinct as a consumer, as a guitar player, as a, as a, as a collector, as a buyer, as a, is whatever you want to call it, I would like to buy Marshall. That's a product I, I like. I know the name. I've known the name for years. I like the way it looks. It means something to me emotionally. Um, so I would like to give Marshall money whenever I can. And I have over the years, and I've done it in the worst ways. I've bought products that I really didn't love because I just wanted to own a Marshall. And so to me, the, the, the DSL 20 watt, the DSL one, uh, one watt, the new origin series. This is great. Should they do a high end version as well? I think so. I think they, they're missing out. I think the next step is to make, um, you know, a slightly expensive version of these kind of amps, maybe hit the, um, so here's a thought. I really think what's smartest about this lineup. I mean, there's so many great things to mention about the Marshall lineup. One of the things I really like is make the DSL line import. So you can make a $300 one watt, a $500 20 watt, you know, a $700 40 watt. That's great. Eh, okay. Then maybe now with that, if that does well, hopefully maybe next year, we'll see the JCM 800 series come out as the same product line, a one watt, a 20 watt, you know, 40 watt. But maybe do that in England and keep that at price high. Because I think the JCM 800 consumers are slightly more, I don't want to say educated, but a higher connoisseur, okay? Players who play JCM 800s usually are players who, who really know how to work that amp. If you guys have a JCM 800 out there, and you play them, you'll know what I'm talking about. The JCM 800 amp is a great amp, but it's not a friendly amp. It's not something that a novice plugs into and just gets great tone out of. It's not an effortless playing amp. You have to work a JCM 800 to get it to sound great. And so uh, I don't think there's a mass appeal to get JCM 800s dirt cheap. So uh, like I said, I think it's uh, a fantastic lineup. I think the Origin Series is a great way to give uh, everybody a chance to get a, a nice priced amp that sounds good with really great features. And then on top of that, they still have the uh, respect that they can still hold by going, hey, if this does well, maybe make a Marshall, like I said, that same thing. Do the Origin Series, but do the Plexis then. And again, made in England, keeping them high end. And then we'll, they'll, have the, they'll have me at both prices. I will buy an Origin and I will buy a Plexi. I will buy all of them because I, I want to buy Marshall. You know what I mean? It's why it's the proof of this concept to me is this. They took Marshall did two impossible things. Give them credit for this. As crazy as it sounds. 
They took a $50 refrigerator, stuck a Marshall front on it, and made it a $400 refrigerator. It is almost laughable, except for the fact that we're all suckers. If you didn't buy one, you wanted to, okay? I wanted one so bad it hurt. My wife just, she didn't care what I did, but she kept telling me, she's like, do you really? Her joke was, I actually had given away that a black refrigerator just like that a couple months prior. And she goes, you just gave a refrigerator away. And I was like, I know. She's like, do you really need a refrigerator? That and the fact that when they made those Marshall one watt amps for 800 bucks and they sold like crazy, again, proof, there's proof. We want Marshalls, okay? Um, so I think what Marshall's done is great and I'm excited. And I've been sticking on my Sweetwater uh, site to see when the Origins may be uh, uploading when they're coming out. I haven't heard anything. Unfortunately, I don't have any connections at Marshall. Uh, so I don't know anybody there. So that can maybe hook me up with some information like, hey, this is going to do it. But I will tell you this. I will buy an Origin when they come out. I am buying the DSL. So I'm going to be buying the Origin as well. I'm going to be buying the Origin 20 watt head. Um, oh, uh, Steve-O179 said, did you hear about the clearance on Schecter 412 cabs with vintage 30s? I got one uh, for 199 bucks. Man, good move. Was that free shipping too? Because that's crazy. You can't buy the speakers for that. The speakers are like 100 bucks a piece. So don't you love stuff like that? So now here's the joke. Ready? Now hear this. How many empty Schecter 412 cabinets do you picture to see in the next couple of weeks on Craigslist? <laughs> These people are going to gut them. There's nothing wrong with the cabinet. I'm just saying people are going to buy them for the speakers. Um, <clears throat> like I said, try not to cough. Hold on. Let me drink a little something. That's a good, you know what, you guys, I love the tough questions. Somebody just put North Texas mountain biker, put Acacia or Kiesel. You know what's hard about that? I've met and talked to both companies and I like them. I've played both guitars and I like them. I, I think there's a, a, a lot of respect you can give both companies. You know, the one thing about Acacia that's really interesting to me is there's a, there's a family vibe to them. You know, when you meet the brothers, when you meet the family, okay? There's a Kiesel has that same vibe. Um, they are very, I am very proud that there are two successful companies in California doing such great things. So um, the question is, which one would I buy? Here's the, here's the, the truth of it. Kiesel's price points are a little easier. What I will tell you is this. Do I know I'm going to buy a Kiesel um, because I, like I said, I talked about last week, I want to buy a Vader. That's what I've decided I want to get. Uh, it's because it's unique and it's different. And it's also going to help me. Uh, I'd like to point out on a side note, I'm wearing my Abbasi t-shirt that uh, Tosin and uh, Frank Falbo gave me and my buddy, uh, Nathan, you know, he gave us Abbasi shirts uh, for helping out with the booth and stuff. That was kind of cool. Um, I want an Abbasi guitar. It's $3,600. I think that's very realistic for that guitar, what Falbo does. Um, but I'm not a buyer at $3,500. Um, I just don't want one so bad that I'm willing to pay more than I've ever paid for another guitar for. You know what I mean? Um, so my price point comfort zone, as I've said this before, gets a little dodgy at $2,000. At $2,000, I start going, I have a lot of nice guitars. It's hard to justify spending so much money on a guitar I may not play. So when you see me buy a guitar, it's more expensive. You know I'm going to play it. That Framus I bought, I play that thing like a crazy. So um, so uh, my point to all this was uh, I'm, a, I'm definitely a Kiesel buyer for um, 
for the Vader. The Acacia thing, believe it or not, they are also, they ghost build the uh, Vala guitars. So if you buy Vala Japan, you get them in Japan, but in the US, that's Acacia building them. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk. I played the Valas, I paid some, played some Acacias. And that's where I was torn was, you know, am I looking at a Vala? Am I looking at Acacia? Which one do I want to get? I really kind of want to buy the Acacia. I don't know why, I just do. Um, but we'll see. So there you go. So to answer your question, I like both for different reasons. I know that sounds politically boring. Uh, you know, um, uh, the important part of that question is that, that I wish I could cite out which one having a quality difference or anything. There's nothing. The only thing Kiesel has is they slightly have a slightly better price point. So, um, but, but I like them both. Um, and to me, so, you know, guitars are about the neck feel and both have a great neck. That's the important part. Okay. Um, Ron's got a great question. I may not even know the answer to, but I can give some insight on what effect does scale length have on tone, if any. And if, uh, so obviously in this uh, perfect example, um, you know what it does for me, and this is going to, I'm going to give you my insight first. Okay. It has an effect on tone for me. And here's why I really don't like strings that are very tight. Okay. So on a bass, I will play a 30 six uh gauge to a 100 which is very small for bass okay usually bass is 45 gauge to 105 on a guitar uh, i'll play 9 to 42 um and uh instead of 10 to 46 smaller strings uh to me they just bend a little easier now if you go to a, a les paul which is 24 and, and a, uh, three quarters a scale length versus a strat 25 and a half i'll i will play tens when i mentioned i bought a warwick um 30-second scale bass, I will play that with the bigger strings. Shorter scale allows me to put bigger strings on it and have the same tension as uh, a longer scale guitar with thinner strings. And even though they're looser, they see because they're thicker, they're the the pickups pick them up differently because they're they're girthier, right? There's just different thickness to them. So I noticed that the tone sounds a little thicker. So that's what effect it has to me. Most people, um, don't notice a whole lot of tone difference. I don't think you can notice it in the way you hear it, but it does change the way it feels. So there will be, and that's a big part of this too. You know that, right? Is that um, you think there's stuff that you can't hear, but the truth is if it affects the way I play, unfortunately, you're going to hear a difference. I play differently. So you hear it differently. So to me, scale length changes the way I play for sure, which changes the way you hear it. But your mileage may vary. Some players may not even notice or care. I ha I instantly can tell scale length when I play. Some players can pick up 10 different guitars and not realize that the scales were all different length. Uh, to me, I instantly feel it. So um, I had, okay, so this has come from Mel. Mel, okay. It says, uh, I had a DSL 40, uh, 112 in the 90s. And he said 401. So he might be right if it was in the 90s. Um, are the new ones the same? Super dual lead? Um. You know what? I actually think it's one of those things where you want to say, yeah, the old ones are better. But believe it or not, I think some of the new ones are slightly better. Maybe the old ones were built better. They take a little more abuse. Um, but the old ones had like a fizzy sound to them. Marshall always has kind of fizzy top end. I think the newer ones ha are less fizzy. Um, you know what I mean? And I actually have a theory behind that. I believe Marshall, like a lot of amp companies, Fender too, slowly start making their amps sound more like the amps sounded recorded then the amp sounded, you know, without. Re in other words, take a take a Marshall amp back in the '80s, and you hear it, and it has like a top and fizz, and there's just a sound to it that's good, but not also not so good. But in recordings, they they recorded them, they sound great, 
And then slowly people tried to emulate the Marshall sound, but not the actual Marshall, the way it was recorded in certain albums that made it sound so great. So, um, see, like Chris is saying, all modern Marshalls are bright as, uh, as hell. And, um, Although that's true, I think the original ones are really bright. And so, you know, sometimes that's just luck of the draw. I find some Marshalls are more, more top-end fizz and, and brighter than others. New Marshalls are definitely more consistent. So, you know, that is without a doubt. If you, even though they're import models, you listen to them. You know, if you think one sounds bad, trust me, you'll think all 10 of them sound bad. If you think one sounds good, they all sound good. Um, definitely in the 80s and the 70s, when you go through those Marshalls, there is definitely different ones that, you know, you could find 10 Marshalls and get, four or five totally different sounds out of them is my experience messing with Marshall's. Yeah. <laughs> Rock show says Marshall players tend to have no hearing above 14 kilohertz. Um, that is, that is actually funny. Okay. Let's see what we got going on. Yeah. And then Michael uh, is talking about the DSL line has just been updated. That's kind of what I'm talking about. The new DSLs are a little less top end fizzy. Um, again, you know, it's, it's, this is the argument. Do you stay true to the sound or do you slowly realize that people's ears have changed over the last 20 years and you update your stuff a little bit? I have a theory that Fender has been doing that for a long time. A lot of people say, oh, the Fender amps don't sound the same, but I talking to Fender over the years, I found that they did that on purpose. They're like, you know what? People romanticize a sound that really, when they go back to it, doesn't sound that great sometimes. So they kind of fix them. Um, and and there's probably some truth to that both ways. Bradulist. Hey, what's up, buddy? He says, hey, Phil, I hope you feel better soon. Should I ever pay the mark price on a budget price guitars? Should I expect all music shops to negotiate price? Great question. You know, um, I've said this before. I, I think, you know, uh, I think negotiating is is part of this, the psyche of our, our industry. And I think it's just something we should do. Um, I, I think it's all about tact. You know, things I've never pulled on anyone. I've never asked anybody how long something's been around in their in their store. I've never asked what's their best price. I've always just asked for the deal. Um, always respectfully. I do it online too, by the way. I always send somebody, in, you know, just like when I bought that, uh, the St. Vincent guitar a couple weeks ago, I sent them an offer, you know. Um, I send the offer and everybody's different, different personalities. I've never sent an offer based on what I thought they would sell it for. Um, because sometimes you can read the lines and go, man, they're going to, they're going to let this go away. They're cheap. I always send it. I always send offers or make offers for what I want to pay. And the truth is that's just the truth of it. Sometimes I'm like, I, I want to like, let's say a Japanese Ibanez. I want a Japanese Ibanez. I don't want to pay more than 500 bucks. I just don't think, you know, unless I, I really, really, really want it. I don't think the guitar is worth more than $500 for like an RG 470 or whatever, you know, 550, unless it's a special color or something. So I'll ask for the deal. So I, I think it's fine to always ask for the deal. Um, you know, just something to see if they do it. Uh, and I find it's a reciprocal arrangement. If I ask for a deal respectfully and I say, hey, look, you know, uh, would you take this offer on this guitar uh, or would you do this? And they say, no, I'm fine with it. If I really wanted the guitar, I'm going to buy it no matter what. But a lot of times I walk away just because, um, you know, this actually happened to me. It's a true story with the Tone King and me. We were in a music store when he was in Phoenix. This is a couple months ago. And um, we walked in a music store and we saw a Marshall amp. I, I, I fell in love with it. Tone King said, you know, you should buy it. And I looked at him and I said, what do you think this amp should sell for? And I was thinking 1200 bucks. And then, and then Tone King said, a thousand bucks. And I said, really? You think a thousand? He said, yeah. 
And I knew in my head right then that at 12, I'm buying it. And we walked up, we talked to the owner and we said, Hey, uh, you know, what's the story on the Marshall? You know, do you have any room to, to negotiate? And he basically said, Oh, you know, I just got it. He goes, I haven't even tried to sell it. Once I try to sell it, it'll be gone. And, uh, about two months later, that amp was on Craigslist for $50 less than he was asking for it. And I sent that TK and I go, see, he's still trying to sell it two months later. And the truth is the, the fair price of the amp was 1200 bucks and a deal would have been a thousand bucks. So I asked for the price and to be honest with you, he didn't want to negotiate. It's fine. No hard feelings either way. I'm sure he's maybe happy. He's still got the amp and he's going to sell it for the right price one day. My point to this is I always ask for the, the price. You know what I mean? I always say, Hey, look, uh, you know, are you willing to accept a deal? And if they're not, they're not. I don't take it personal ever. You know, everybody knows. Sometimes, so you know, I can tell you on the other end as a dealer, when I would sell guitars, somebody would come in and say, hey, would you take 350 that guitar? And sometimes, to be honest with you, I would go, yes. And I'm so glad somebody just offered me to get rid of a guitar because you've just been sick of staring at it for so long. So it happens both ways. All right. Um, the... There's a question I just don't I can't answer it, but I'm gonna try. It's it's uh it says, Hey Phil, can you differentiate the amp voicing between the Freeman B one hundred and the Runt fifty? To me, there's a to totally two different amps. The Runt, I have a Runt twenty. The Runt fifty and the Runt twenty to me are Friedman style amps. To me, the B one hundred is like the PT twenty. They have this really compressed, full powered, amazing kind of Friedman sound, like. You know, if you don't understand Friedman and how they 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 got popular so fast, I mean, it's really that those two amps, the B100 and of course the PT. Now, there's more amps now too under the list, but those two amps definitely set the Friedman fire ablaze. The Run series is really a, a way of them saying, "Hey, look, if you're not in the three thousand six hundred dollar price range, here's a sampling of the Run 50." The same thing. So the Run 50, what I can tell you is a lot of people who are Friedman fanatics who have bees will tell you the runs are junk and don't buy them. What I will tell you is this. It is a fraction of the price and it gets you really close. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a good facsimile of, of what Freeman's amp sound is. It's maybe missing a few nuances of the big amp, but it's a big price difference. I mean, I'm obviously I've never owned a $3,500 amp. I've never bought one. So, uh, you know, uh, when I came back from Nam, I got a little, uh, you know, excited about the BE 50 deluxe and just the word $3,400 is just, it's just too much for me to consider for an amplifier. Um, you know, it's just a lot, you know, I, I don't have any reason to justify it. Uh, you know, if I could justify it by getting rid of a bunch of amps and getting it maybe, but I'm, I'm not really in the, you know, I like the amps I have. The, uh. Somebody says Parker guitars are dead, mate. Uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of what I've been saying for the last couple of years. Uh, probably now safe to say it. I was told by a pretty really good inside source that Parker was not coming back. And I kind of kept reiterating to everybody and everybody's like, no, they're coming back. Nobody, I think on that side was lying. I think they're trying, they were trying and I think they're still trying to bring Parker, you know, back. But the truth is, Every minute, and, and I've said this many times with companies, every minute a company shuts itself down, okay? When a company decides not to make the guitars anymore, it's every minute your product's not out there in somebody's face, that's a minute for a customer to forget you exist. So your brand, your power of bringing people to you for saying, hey, we're Parker Guitars, you're losing that ability because less you're letting people become guitar players without knowing who you are. 
So, um, so, so there you go. That's the, that's the trick with, with that. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping they'll come back, but it's, it's going to get worse and worse each, each year they're gone. Okay. Um, Damon wants to know, are tube amps affected by being stored in cold temperatures? Not to my knowledge. Uh, but I mean, I don't know how cold you're talking about. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, in Germany, they were telling me, uh, it gets so cold there that you can't even start diesel engines. You know? So I'm like, okay, that's cold. So yeah, I, I don't know, but not that I, my knowledge, unless of course it's something extreme, crazy. Um, Rock Show wants to know, Phil, have you ever ordered from the German company Talman, the Talman music company? I have not ordered anything from them. Uh, I haven't experienced it. Um, I've heard mostly good things and a couple things that were not bad, but kind of like, eh, you know, one of the big deals if you're in the U.S. is the return shipping is kind of a, you know, kind of sucks because even though I think it's reasonably priced, it's still, you know, a big pain to have to pay ship back all the way to Germany. Um, but overall good things. Uh, the vibe I get is they're the Sweetwater of Germany and maybe Sweetwater is the Tallman of, you know, you know, of the U.S. I don't know, but the, the, the definitely equal vibes in the way they run things. Seems to be very class act as the overpar. Um, you'll always find dissatisfied customers. That's not uh, that's not a, a, a way to rate a business. If you can find ten people who are unhappy, that's fine. But if there's five thousand people that are happy, that's the real win. You you know when you win overall, you know. Um, John's got a uh, super chat. It says, "Hey Phil, don't you think that the most exciting and best looking amp at Nam was the Laney LA LA three thirty BL?" Anyway, thinks I think maybe you sent me an email about this, and I didn't see what it is. And like I said, so uh, the Laney LA three hundred BL. Let's see if it lets me do something real quick. Hold on, guys. I am just curious if we can see it. Laney was a booth I didn't even notice at the show. It wasn't even. Okay, ready? I'm looking. It's coming up. Let's share with you guys so you can see what I'm looking at. This is what he's talking about. Um... Yeah, I didn't even notice this. Looks cool right off the bat. Pretty straightforward. Obviously, a couple knobs. Uh, four inputs kind of gives me a vibe like it's going for the plexi thing. Right? Hmm. I'm interested. I'll take a look at it. You know, um, I've mentioned this before. For the last couple of years, I've been wanting a Laney Lionheart amp, um, and I just never pulled the trigger. So that's something. Uh, but to answer your question, John, I didn't notice it. I think... I. If you didn't do it, somebody else sent me an email this week, but like I said, I was not responding, uh, saying, hey, you know, uh, something about check this out instead of the DSL, um, and I will definitely check it out. Okay. Um, a lot of people are talking about the CITES issues. I know. Uh, Beatmaster saying, because of CITES, I could barely buy 30% of the guitars at Toman. Yes. Yes. Well, so you know, my War, uh, Warwick bass, I'm hoping there's no sighties issues because it's solid maple body and solid wingate neck. So, our winge neck? You know, it's funny was that came up at the NAMM show when I was doing the How Do You Official Say video. A bunch of the, the uh, luthier guitar builders were saying, you know, we need to do an official How Do You Say the Wood names. And it was really funny to see that even master luthiers of these guitar companies, these exotic companies were telling me that, like, you know, they go, we get told we're saying it wrong all the time. So uh, Perry Ormsby was saying, uh, it's winge, it's wingay, I don't know. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, I have the same problem. You know, 
you get told it's one thing, but then somebody corrects you the other way. And then after a while, you can't remember how you were corrected and you're, you get self-conscious about it. Like, I'm pretty sure I know some of the right ways to say it, but then over years I picked up the wrong ways because people who are wrong tell you you're wrong. And then <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, all right. So let's see what we got for questions. Let's see. Um, Tim Hall says, hey, Phil, have you had any problems with the Gibson nut? Uh, Tim, I have a video uh, about that. It's like, how do you keep your Gibsons in tune? Uh, Gibson's nut is, uh, every Gibson guitar you get, you should definitely make sure the nut is cut and filed correctly and lubricated correctly. That is a big uh, big issue. In most cases, you can get it right. Does it make sense? Um, I don't think Gibson's ever claimed to launch that specifically perfect. So, you know, Paul Reed Smith, uh, has the same issue. Uh, if I was going to say an issue when I set up Paul Reed Smith guitars, the only issue I come across is sometimes the nut is cut and it just needs to be smooth and cut a little bit more. And the reason is, is because when they ship it out, there's almost an anticipation. See, I think it's, I kind of assumed in the industry that when the guitars re re get to the retailer, the retailer, like a car manufacturer, a car dealer who will check the uh, alignment and stuff, will go through and do the final kind of tweaks when it arrives. And it's because it's ha too hard to assume what to finish out in the factory. You know, logically, not, you know, on every company, there's going to be this issue. You're sitting guitars in warehouses and you don't know where they're going to be shipped to. So you don't want to do too much to the guitar. Um, in fact, I found, so you know, like lowering action, I found a lot of uh, repair guys will not lower action too low because they know that next move slightly within a couple of days and then the action will buzz. So a lot of them will set your guitars up just so slightly higher than probably what you want it because they'd rather be, they'd rather have you slightly unhappy than, than have you unhappy. Does it make sense? So I think the manufacturers use the same logic. They'd rather you slightly be unhappy than really unhappy. If they cut the nut too perfect, and it, it something moves on them, they're going to have issues. So I think it's just a, a safe way of doing it. And the reason I say that is because it's not exclusive to any guitar company I've ever seen. In other words, I can't pick on Gibson specifically about that any more than I could Fender or um, uh, uh, PRS. I, uh, I have a friend who bought a PRS, uh, or sorry, a Fender uh, Elite Strat, and his number one complaint was the nut was cut wrong. So, and what it was is it wasn't, it was cut wrong, but it was cut wrong in the right way. In other words, a little bit of filing, and it was fixed. You know what I mean? So it wasn't cut the wrong way where they took too much material and then now it needs a new nut. And that's what I find to be the issue every time is every, every nut just is, needs a little bit more than what they gave it at the factory. Uh, okay. Next question is, There's a lot of them. So I'm trying to find good ones here. Hold on. Hold on. Phil Summers has got a super chat, so we'll do that real quick. Uh, it says, uh, since you since you love rig rundowns, which I do, and want to see someone running down the rig of the little guy, uh, check out my channel called Your Guitar Minor League Rigs. You know what? That's a great idea, Phil. So Phil Summers, we'll put that in the thing. We'll check it out. You guys can let me know what you think of his videos. I'll, I'll let you know, Phil, too. Of course, in a... In a, in a polite, kind way. Um, yeah, because I, I really like the idea of people doing that. 
you know, I, I had mentioned in the past, you know, since rig rundowns doesn't seem to want to do that, maybe that's something I do, but I have a new project in the works that I'm um, super excited about. What you're going to find is there's no official videos for the month of February. You're going to be seeing lots of reviews. I have 20 videos to upload. They're actually most, some of them are done, not most of them, but some of them are done. I just didn't finish editing and stuff because I got sick. Um, and then next month, March, we'll start the official, uh, you know, the Sharp My Axe videos come back and another series that I'm working on that I think you guys will really, really like. I'm very excited about. And it will, it's going to take a lot of time. So, um, okay. Um, I'm trying to get some more questions. They kind of popped. You guys just popped. So like I say, when I'm answering a question, a bunch pop up real quick. You guys are, I'm just going to talk about something you guys are talking about. There's a bunch of people right now talking about the string Butler uh, for the Les Paul. And um, I think, and I could be wrong. I thought string Butler contacted me and sent me an email. I could be totally wrong. It could have been one of you guys telling me to look at string Butler. I try to do some research on it. I understand the concept of how it works. There's something I was concerned and curious about. So I'm only interested in reviewing the string Butler. Um, here's my issue. Lacquer doesn't like to have things attached to it. In other words, it imprints in it pretty big. The string Butler attaches to the tuning keys. Everything about the string Butler looks great, except for the fact that I want to make sure it doesn't leave an impression on the instrument. The other thing too, is by putting something on top of the guitar, like the string Butler, one of the concerns I had is like putting a truss rod cover in 10 years, when you lift it off, it's going to be a different color underneath. So, and, and that's not a big deal, except for Les Pauls literally hold value like crazy. Um, you know, you know, Les Pauls, you know, they, they're not like a lot of the other guitars. They, they're collectible for that reason. And so I don't want to do anything to damage the guitar. So I was curious about that stuff. Um, so if you guys have string butlers, let me know if you've experienced any negative things. Like I said, ov overall, I keep hearing things positive. My concern with that is though, is like a lot of products on the, on the internet that get reviewed, they always seem to be in the honeymoon phase. Hey, I got this thing and it's amazing. It fixed all my problems. Uh, one thing to my, to my credit, I will say a lot of the reviews I've done about products that improve guitars, they're from my years of doing that. And again, that's not to say anything else. I just want to be, I want, when I'm sharing my experience with you, um, I want it to be that. I, I don't want you to, if you disagree with the way I do things, that's great. You know, that's fine. That's what we're, 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 this is the whole point is to have a conversation and learn different ways. But, um, my thing is, I don't want to give you a theory because I don't want to lead you down a wrong road that I wasn't going down myself. A lot of times when I'm telling you guys stuff, it's because I did it. And so I feel pretty confident in, hey, I'm not saying this is the right answer. I'm just saying this is what resulted in what my experience is. So back to that, I like to have experience of products like that. And that seems to be a really interesting product. So plus, I really think when the nuts cut right, 90% of the problems go away with the, the tuning issues with the Gibson. So. I once, I once heard a theory that, you know, cause Gibson just doesn't want to use graphite nuts cause they, they look ugly, the black nut on the guitar, but graphite would be a perfect, you know, nut for their, their guitars. Like, like what Paul Reed Smith uses. And uh, I thought it seemed so silly. And then one year Gibson made one with a black nut. And I remember thinking, oh, I've never owned that. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're all just dumb guitar players. Yeah, somebody's saying the guitar, uh, the string butlers don't require a screw in the headstock. That I knew. There's no modification. So I already know what string butler uh, works. I know it doesn't need modification. 
my issue was, does it come in contact? Does it physically touch the, the top of the headstock or is it floating? Because again, you don't want it to touch because it's going to leave a mark if it touches. So there you go. Yeah, there's 800 people watching. So thanks guys for hanging out. Um, Paige Hunter's got a great question. Any benefit to running a two power amp uh, over a solid state one when using modelers? Yeah, two power amps will uh, warm up the sound. Um, th there, there is a, uh, a, a big part of that is a lot of players like to take things like Axe Effects and Kempers and then run them through a two power section. Um, now, interesting theory about that, which I always think is fun, is most amp builders tend to tell me that uh, the tube power section doesn't have as much to do with the sound as the preamp section of a tube amp, right? It, it's the smallest amount of, uh, of the tube tone is the tube power section. Um, now, what's interesting is, I, 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 okay, I agree with that then, you know, that seems to be logical. However, it's funny that I've noticed that when you want run digital things like modelers into uh, tube amps versus and I'm talking about just two power amps versus solid state power amps. I've noticed a massive difference. In other words, the two power amp sections uh, do two things. One, they uh, sound a little warmer and fuller, more organic, less like square wave, less digital. The other thing too that happens is they roar a little bit. Tube amps, man, are really a ferocious amp. In other words, when you turn them up and you hit chords, they want to cut through the mix. They just got a lot of power behind them. And solid state doesn't really push the frequencies the same way. So... Uh, yeah, in my experience, a two power amp section uh, always is a great idea. Yeah, and you know what? And Ron Park saying the same thing. Head roam with tube amps uh, makes for a more dynamic sound. I agree because a tube amp, <coughs> generally speaking, sounds better turned up. So that's what's great about it. You know what I mean? Is in fact, let's take that argument that I just said, and I'll I'll go backwards on it. I'll flip the other side. If you asked me if you were in your bedroom playing with a uh, digital, you know, let's say you have a, an Axe FX and you wanted to run it through a, a power section into a speaker and you're going to play in your apartment, I would argue that the two power amp section would have little to do with the results. In other words, if you AB'd them, you would hear very little difference in the sound. I think that exact opposite thing would happen if you went to a small gig. You know what I mean? If you went to a gig or a band rehearsal and the tube amp, when you turn it up, I think the, the sound will be dramatically different than the solid state power section. So that's the interesting thing about tube amps. They, they really come to life as you turn them up. That's why the new frustration with tube amps is we all want to play tube amps quietly. And <laughs> that's something that the tube amp doesn't want to do, right? So... Uh, Kurt's got a crazy question. Uh, Kurt, I've never heard this one before. Is it safe to run a tube amp after unplugging the reverb tank? So I'm going to give you the analogy that helps, hopefully. So if you were using, let's say, a Fender tube amp, like a Princeton or a Deluxe and, or a, maybe a Marshall DSL or a Marshall you know, JCM 900, and what you're saying is you unplug the two RCA jacks out of the amp that have the reverb tank going, as far as I know, there should be no harm to the amplifier at all. So there's nothing in it that would cause any issues that I know of that would damage the amp. Um, so and then Trey's got a question. Thoughts on the amps using new tubes? Will they eventually replace traditional tubes? Um, you know, this the tubes going away, you know, forever. We're, we gotta come to this conclusion now. Forever, I've been told since the day I started playing guitar, before I even knew what a tube was, you know, I think all of us had the same experience in life. 
before even I even knew that there was a tube amp and a solid state. I didn't, I didn't know when I went into music stores, when I first started playing guitar, you went to music stores. I didn't look at amps like, Oh, that's a tube amp, and the solid stamp. I looked at like, that's a $200 amp. And that's a thousand dollar amp. That's all I really knew. Not knowing what tubes are. There was there the first thing I had, as soon as I just heard the word tube and I learned what a tube is, it seems like the next day is the day you heard there was tubes versus solid state. So <clears throat> the death of the tube amp, it's been acclaimed by so many products. In other words, you know, the Eventide stuff was going to kill it. The Digitech stuff was going to kill it. You know, uh, Mosh Valve stuff was going to kill Hybrid stuff was going to kill it. Um, you know, the the um, the pod, the kidney pod, kidney bean pod by Lansing is going to kill it. Everything's going to be killing the tube amp. And everything eventually says it's going to kill the tube amp. The, the, the truth now is I, I think what's going to happen is the tube amp isn't going to die because uh, of a better product. The tube amp, unfortunately, will probably die the way a lot of things die in the world that we've seen, which is it, it, it's its day will have come to where just society isn't going to tolerate it. In other words, we'll probably find that due to regulations on tubes or due to, you know, cost issues, just tubes will have to slowly fade out in the distance a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. I don't know what's going to happen in five years. No one really knows. There's speculations, but I think you're naive if you don't realize that at some point tubes are going to, they're going to have to change. And so I like the idea that somebody's saying, Hey, what about new tubes? This new tube idea, this new concept, what if we change? Um, and again, you know, what does it take to make you, my question to you, Trey is what does it take to make you a new tube customer? And that's kind of a good rhetorical question. You can put that in the comments, all you guys down below, what will it take to make you a new tube customer? In other words, Let's say, let's take the big two player. I know Vox is messing with it, okay? And that may be a problem too, because, you know, uh, having Vox owning the technology is going to be a problem because how do you get Fender on board if they have to pay? We all know, uh, this is we've seen this with Mac and PC. Companies don't like to pay a royalty to their biggest competitor, okay? So I'm not saying there's a problem. I'm just giving you a, 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 a guess, a theory. Will Fender want to pay a competing company, you know, royalty, to make amplifiers when, you know, so our will fender then create their own version of new tube, right? And this will be like beta versus VHS and, uh, you know, and everything else in our, in, in our lives that we experience when there's two sources. Um, so the question is what does new tube have to do to make you a customer? And to me, uh, it, it, it's not much. I hate to say it. You know, if, 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 if Vox makes an amp, I, I don't really even care who makes an amp. Let's just, it, but it's gotta be an amp I already have. So I'll use Fender as a perfect example. If somebody made a Fender Princeton that has a new technology for tubes that makes it really react like a tube and sound like a tube, and it's better for efficiency electricity because, you know, a, a, uh, tube amps are pigs, man. They suck so much electricity. Um, and it's better for the electricity, so therefore it's better for, let's say, uh, the environment or, you know, maybe electric bill. doesn't matter what your, you know, your agenda on that is. It's just, it's better. In other words, if it's the same quality product and it sounds the same, but somehow it's more efficient and better and it costs me less, I'm probably going to move towards it. And that's going to be the, the the thing. And the reason I know that to be true is because uh, take tubes out of the equation. Let's take something that's been in the equation for years. In the equation, you're going to have hand wired versus PC. Okay. So PC ports. The truth is you can say what you want about hand wired being better, but I don't own a lot of hand wired amps. In fact, I think I own two. And the reason is because costs, they're just too expensive. They price me out of the market. I'd rather own a PC board based amplifier that I 
that I feel more comfortable spending that money on. Do I recognize the other one being superior? I don't know. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't want to think about it because I just want to save the money and have a good quality product. So in other words, if, if amp companies start offering you, and this is the perfect example, a $1,200 Princeton, the way it is, or a $600 new to Princeton, and there's only a slight difference in sound, a lot of people are going to pick their directions. You know what I mean? And that's just, that's just how it goes. But I'm also curious to see what you guys think. What does it take to make you switch from tube to not to solid state, not to digital, but to a new type tube technology? So like Chris Ham saying, new tube is cool, but it doesn't react just like a glass valve. Uh, I bet you could feel the difference. And again, that's the question. And, and, but, and that's my point. It's not that it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have to feel it just has to get you close. Because again, if, if it's a slight difference, but but right now, like here's a good example. To me, if some, when you guys ask, like, what do you think of the new tube screamer with new tube in it? Well, I think it's two times the price of regular tube screamer. So I'm not interested at this point. But that's because that's a different kind of technology, different insert. What I'm curious about is when they try to use that kind of technology to bring prices down. And more importantly, Sadly enough, I don't think it's going to be what I said, which is they'll make a Princeton $600 and their two Princeton will be $1,200. I think what's going to happen is the amp, the two prices are just going to go sky high. And this is the only way that most of us can actually comfortably afford this stuff. So. All right. <laughs> John says, and it needs to smell the same too. Yes. Yes. Phil Smith, Phil Smith says, I don't care if it's tubes, new tubes, transistor, or digital. And, you know, and that's another great uh, attitude. I like that attitude um, because I've had this experience myself where not every, and I think a lot of us experience this. I think that's why this new social media YouTube thing is working, you know, with the reviewers and all this stuff out there. I think we're all experiencing the same things. Not everything that's told to us as being the right thing is the right for us. In other words, um, you know, tube amps are the best. Handwired is the best. Uh, handmade guitars is the best. And um, and I find that there's mm, yes and no's to all of that. And sometimes I've, I've experienced all of those things. Um, you know, a perfect example, I forgot who it was. I feel really bad, but I was talking to somebody about Axe Effects just last week. And um, we were talking in detail and I was explaining the main reason I have the holdback for me for Axe Effects is... At heart, really, my my favorite thing to do is just take my Strat and plug in my Princeton clean. So I really don't need a processing unit to give me just a straightforward 12-watt clean tube sound. So, uh, but it, funny enough, it's almost impossible for me to get that sound, that Princeton sound, that low-wattage tube clean sound with the spring reverb out of any kind of amp, a Katana, anything. Those are amps are great, but when you AB them, you're like, no, no, the clean tube amp just really has a fuller more, you know, depth sound. I feel like there's more depth uh, in, in the way it sounds. And therefore I play a little better because I feel a little better. So um, that's why I like that. But on that same experience, I've experienced where you can plug into a digital pedal and get just as good a sound as a hand-wired pedal. So Chad says, uh, I'd buy a Marshall DSL with the new tube tech. Yeah, you know, like I said, I'd be interested in trying it. So, like I said, my only um, unoptimistic part in this whole thing, and then we'll go to the next subject, is uh, I kind of wish NewTube wasn't associated with Vox. I know that sounds weird, but 
if it's a technology that can enhance a lot of different products, it's going to be tough if it's behind, you know, a competitor. A lot of, let me, let me give you an example. How many amps besides Fender do you see coming with groove tubes in anymore? You don't because Fender owns groove tubes. You know what I mean? Groove tubes used to be an amp, uh, you know, a, a tube in almost in every amp that I used to buy. All the crates used to come with groove tubes. Everything used to, that had, you know, the, the tube crates. Uh, amps used to have groove tubes. Once Fender bought groove tubes, you're not going to see a whole lot of companies wanting to give Fender money. No one wants to give their competitor money. Okay, Chris is saying it's a, it's a Korg technology, right? And and Korg owns Vox, and that might and I know is and I know that's technically the same thing as what I was saying. You know, it's still Vox, um, but um, Korg might help the situation because they have a more universal approach. So I don't know. Like I said, uh, Ken Edwards says, I'm sorry, Kevin. Kevin Edwards says, what do you think of John Mayer doing lessons on YouTube? Uh, I thought I saw something about that. I kind of feel like I've been gone for a month because I was sick. I don't know much about it. Do you have to pay for them? Is it free? I'm not sure. I feel like I need somebody that's not as good as John Mayer to show me how to get close to John Mayer before I can learn a lesson from John Mayer. <laughs> that makes any sense. So... Okay. Um, all right. The, okay. Let's do a couple more questions and then I'll do a couple more announcements and then we'll cut it. We'll go a little long today. Um, cause like I said, this has been really cool for me cause I've been cooped up for four days straight. Uh, okay. So on the John Mayer thing, they're free. He has done them for fans on Instagram. Oh, that's cool, man. You know, there's a couple artists that do this stuff. I think that stuff's awesome. I love I love watching artists interact. That's what social media is now. You get to interact with people. Look what we're doing right now. Uh, I got a super chat. It says, hey, Phil, what what are good patch cables for pedals uh, that have the least noise and are affordable? And what do you think of Line 6 Firehawk FX sound quality? Um, so I don't have any experience with the Firehawk FX, so I won't be able to tell you about that. Um, so... Maybe I'll look in that for you because um, there's a bunch of new fire uh, line six products that I'm trying to get some information on and get, get, inf you know, and get in, get reviews of it as well. So maybe Firehawk, something I can check into um, patch cables. Um, there's a bunch that I use, um, but I'll be honest. Most of the cables I use are because I got promotional deals on them or they were given to me. There's a bunch that I like. I like the George L patch cables. Some people have issues with the fact that the, the wire pulls out of the, the, uh, the ink, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, but the end, uh, I, I haven't had too much of that experience. I like George L. I like the solderless, uh, planet waves cables that Diodario offers. Um, uh, sorry, Diodario offers. Uh, those are good as well. I've had good luck with even the cheap Hosa ones. I, I have good, no problems with, um, I have some of the, I have some of the crazy ones too. You know, my, my problem is, so I like the, um, there's a new cable. I have some on the ground here cause I've pedals They're over there. Hold on a second. Right here. These are the new flat cables by Rockboard. Um, I've been checking those out. They've been working really good for me. I'm really excited about those. Again, I haven't reviewed them because I'm not going to get a cable and just go, hey, look at this. They sent me a cable. It's amazing. Um, literally, I'm trying to break them. You know what I mean? I'm messing with them. I kind of know from years of selling cables what, what, when, or why they're going to eventually die. So I'm trying to give them their paces. I've had them for a few weeks. I'm sure the rock board guys are like, Hey, where's up with a review? Um, but the truth is 
uh, I'm not going to say it's cool if I don't know yet. Um, so far, so good. Um, and again, my good experience with those. But for, but here's the caveat. A lot of you guys will probably uh, like a lot of the expensive cables for pedal boards. My issue is some of the really expensive ones are really hard to, they're just so thick and, 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 and hard to kind of put the pedals together. So those are the ones I like, if that helps. But for the most part, I've been using Hosa ones. I've had no problems with Hosa over the years. So they make like three levels of cable at Hosa for, uh, uh, for short cables and the cheap ones work. Um, the cheap ones work okay, but I noticed a little bit of the highs get cut off, right? I think it's because the quality of the wires cheap. So I go to the next quality. They have a more expensive tier. They even sent me some of those and same thing. They were a little too thick, too, 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 too much going on. So I like the mid priced Hosa cables and they, those have the metal ends that are like these where they're flat like this, but they're, they're kind of round and metal. I'm sorry. Cables are hard. I don't know the names of a cable. Sonia Jones says Katana is awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I did. I bought a DSL 20. So I'll make some announcements that ties in. And I bought a Katana 50 watt combo. Uh, I talked about doing it. I was thinking about getting the, uh, the light. Some guys mentioned the new light one. Um, I decided, I, like I said, I, I reviewed the Katana 100. Um, uh, boss asked me if I would review the Katana again to the version two. Um, but uh, they wanted to loan it to me and then have me ship it back. And I told them, no offense, you know, it's it's not that expensive amp. It's something I'd actually like to own. I'd rather not borrow it from you, go through all that hassle. I think I'll just buy one. So um, I went to buy one and then Yamaha contacted me and said, hey, well, how would you like to review some stuff? And uh, that's the THR stuff. And I thought, well, now I want to review that. And then I don't want to buy a Katana. What happens if I fall in love with the THR 10? And Yamaha's paperwork was really weird and the whole thing was really weird. I just didn't feel the vibe of it. And so I decided not to do it. And I, so I made it a point to go check out a THR 10 and here's the deal with the THR 10. Uh, I could argue the THR 10 is slightly better than the Katana with the way it sounds. I could, but here's the truth at 220 bucks for a 50 watt 112 inch speaker amp. I thought the Katana was a better better investment with my money for th versus 300 bucks for the Yamaha. That's just how I feel. I'm sure it's going to upset a lot of you Yamaha guys out there that love it. I, I have a lot of friends who swear by it. I really liked it. Um, but, you know, you know, I spend my money the way you spend your money. Uh, I, I look at what I'm getting and I go, okay, what, what's the best value for bucks? I'd really have, I'd rather have 80 bucks in my pocket and like a Katana than pay $300 and go, okay, I think maybe I got something slightly better. So, and it really, it's a tit for tat. There were so many things about each one that made them. In fact, here's the actual thing. I actually came to the conclusion in my mind, they're the same. You know, if you take everything about the Yamaha that was great and everything about the Katana, I'd say, okay, they're equal products. Now I want to, if they're equal, then I'd rather have 80 bucks in my pocket. Plus I have a long history with boss buying from them as a consumer and boss has never disappointed me as a consumer. Um, and I can say that about as it being a dealer for them too. Uh, as a company, you know, the truth is there are a few large companies that deserve that kind of accolade. And, and I hate to say it, it's Fender, it's Boss, um, Paul Reed Smith, Ibanez, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody else. Companies that I feel like they make good products, they're a big company, but they still 
they have all the things that they need to have in place. In other words, they still have some customer care going on. They have good warranties going on. They, they've learned who their customer is and they learned who to work with them. And I think that's more important than ever saying, you know, the customer's always right and take it. No, you learn your customer. How do you work with a customer? And that's what they've learned to do. And boss is a perfect example. They go, look, we know what our customer wants. You know what I mean? And what I find interesting about that statement is, and not to go on a tirade, but to go on that statement is boss has learned the customer expects perfection. So with boss, you never got like great deals. They never seem to like bash and slash pricing. They never seem to do uh, these other things. They're like, this is our price. If you don't think it's fair, we don't care. Here's what we, here's what we do know. When you open the box, it, it turns on and it works like as promised. So there you go. And, you know, on a side note, another thing that happened, I try not to go too crazy when I was sick, but I was really miserable this week. Um, and, uh, I bought a boss Dynadrive pedal. So I'll be reviewing that next week. Uh, you know, what's funny was, uh, I'm, I have a boss cube amp and a micro cube and a cube 40 really like them. And the boss, uh, both, uh, the, the, the cube 40 has a Dynadrive feature. Dynadrive was like boss's way of making fake tube technology. It was a thing that the harder you hit, the more distorted it gets. It's kind of funny. It's like almost like it's actually almost laughable because it's like you can hit the note light and it's almost clean. And then you hit a little harder and it's a little distorted. You hit it more and it's like really saturated. But um, different than turning your volume up and down, it you can actually feel it like triggering it like a noise gate, releasing the distortion by how much intensity it's getting. And uh, I always thought that was really cool. And then I go, you know, there was a pedal like that that Boss made that flopped. I went online and go, I bet you it's worth a fortune now because you know, uh, they don't make it anymore. And no, nope, I picked one up brand new for 65 bucks. A, a dealer was probably sitting on one for the last three years and they saw there was a ton of them. So if you're curious, we'll do a review of that. And then if it's good, I hope you guys are smart enough to buy them before they're all $99 because they get hyped up. That's how it works. We'll try not to hype them. Okay. So I love finding cheap gear. The downfall is the channel has gotten to the size now where every time I find something cool and I share with you guys, it's not cool anymore because it, it goes up. You know what I mean? So I don't want to have that effect in the market. It really is. It, it's, it's, it, it really is something that I wish I could feel cool about. Like, yeah, look at that. I did a video and now the price went up. I actually never feel that way. I actually kind of get upset and it makes me sometimes not make the videos anymore. Those type of videos. I did a, uh, a video, uh, about gyms you can find. And I was telling you how you find guitars for three, $400. And then somebody showed me like a year later, they're asking $1,500 for the guitars. And I'm like, it's just dumb. I even sent a message to the guy that was selling. It. I go, that's just dumb. So, all right, uh, we're running a little late, but uh, 867 of us, and uh, like I said, we'll keep going. We're going to probably push this one another 15 minutes, go to an hour and a half, um, and uh, and uh, oh, Shaman Blue's got a good question. Uh, hey, Phil, any negative flack from the announcement that Gibson wants uh, to try their to gear? So what's great is I've actually talked to the YouTubers, obviously the TK, Pixie. Uh, I think a couple others have also mentioned that Gibson has also reached out to them. At this point, exactly what I was saying. They've said, hey, are you interested in working with us on some videos? Uh, they're being vague. And they, I think they have no plan to do it at this time. They're just seeing if we're willing. And really what it was is, is Gibson saying, hey, it, you know, they I'm sure they want to test the waters. Who's out there? Who's interested? Who's not? Who's going to smack the hand back and say no? And Shoshaman, no, not really. I mean, a couple comments maybe where people are saying, you know, they don't they don't care for Gibson. The truth is, is this. We all like Gibson. 
Okay, when I say we all, I mean seven out of 10 of us like Gibson. And if you don't believe that, well, then you need to look at market numbers again. Okay, eight out of 10 of us like Fender and seven out of 10 of us like Gibson. And maybe if I'm wrong, I'm not wrong by much. So the majority of us like those products. That's why those products have become the biggest. It's why we take it so personal when uh, Gibson is like a, a, a team, your favorite team making some decisions you're not happy about. You're actually not happy because you love them and you don't want them to do anything to change this relationship you have with them. It's funny. We all perceive we have a relationship with companies. We don't, but we do perceive it that way. And I'm so naive that I believe that too. I believe that I'm having a relationship with Fender and if Fender somehow doesn't treat people right, uh, they're going to break my heart. Um, and uh, it's true. Sometimes some of us feel that way. Some of us probably don't care. And, and I wish I could be more like you in that instance. Gibson just even sending out emails to YouTubers is the first step of, of, okay, cool. So I think it's all positive. If I never work with Gibson, if they decide that there's nothing I can offer to help them uh, in any way, uh, that's fine with me too. Like I said, um, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm very particular about what I do on the channel. Uh, there's no, there's no mystery about that. So it might not work out the, the things they might want to, to have done. I'm not, I'm not interested in, but here's the deal. It still won't change the way I feel right now, which is, uh, I can tell you this, like I said, it really hit me at the right time because I was getting so like, man, Gibson's just so every week. It's just something negative about Gibson. It was just nice to hear something positive, something great. So good for them. So, um, Um, lucky number 888 says, has anyone ever walked out of one of your gigs and discussed because you use solid state instead of tube amp? Um, here's a better question. And I've used this analogy before, and I don't want to keep beating a dead horse of this, but I'm going to use this exactly the same. These are tools, guitars, pedals, amps, all this. The argument that somehow they're not relevant in some way is silly. Here's why. Uh, this is the analogy I love. I'll say it over and over again. You cannot tell when a chef uses a expensive knife or a cheap knife to cut up the vegetables that's in your food or cut up the meat in your food. You cannot taste a $700 skillet versus a $300 skillet, right? You can't taste that stuff. It's just not how it works. However, you can taste quality. So if the chef doesn't, um, let me put it this way. It's the chef. It's always going to be the chef, just like it's the musician. The musician can make a solid state amp sound good. If you give me a solid state amp, I know exactly. If you give me a gig, uh, a solid state amp said, hey, Phil, it's jam. And all I got to do is play some three chords and, and just jam the backing band up. I know ex I know from experience what the solid state amp is going to do that's bad. It's going to have a high top end and it's going to make the sound. The, when I ring an open G chord, the end of that chord is going to sound really sharp. And it's going to have a non-pleasing sound, especially as I turn the amp up. So you EQ it correctly. So you can EQ a solid state amp to feel more like a tube amp. You can make a guitar that doesn't sound so good. You know, uh, I could take a really, uh, a Squire that has bright single coil pickups. I could turn the tone control back and then turn the amp up because the tone control is going to kill some of the ability to cut through the mix, but the amp, turning the amp up. There's a, you can adjust out anything. So when somebody says, hey, I don't need expensive gear or nice gear, I can use a cheap gear. Well, of course you can. The, the argument that you couldn't is silly. The point is some people don't want to, and that's, and that's on them. Some musicians, and it's not even economics. I know a musician personally who gigs out for a living, uh, seriously, 40 to 50 shows a month 
for the last 20 years. And he doesn't buy the best gear or the cheapest gear. He's just learned what gear works for him. And his decisions are solely based on work. He's like, this is what works. This is what the, and this is what he's learned. He's learned through his experience what the audience can detect and what they can't, right? And that's what matters to him because he's trying to make a, a budget. The truth is rock stars don't think that way sometimes. We've all heard about it. Everybody's heard the story of the rock band who was number one and they made all this money, but at the end of the tour, they didn't make any money because they spent all the money on pyrotechnics and amps behind them and the whole nine yards. So there's different ways to run your business, so to speak, as a musician. And some musicians think about that stuff. If a musician, so so here's the other th flip of the coin. I've seen musicians that gig out solely to make some extra money to buy nice gear. And they gig out with the best gear. And they're laughing in their head because they're like, man, I'm, I'm getting to play and it's buying this nice gear. I don't think they really believe like, man, if I didn't have nice gear, the audience wouldn't enjoy this. I think it's the logic is, hey, I get nice gear. Some buy nice gear because they want to show it off. That's there's just part of it. You know, sometimes you buy an expensive guitar because you just want to show people like, hey, look, I got this expensive guitar. A lot of it actually is psychology. It's just, just I just want this guitar. Some of us are luckier than others. Um, I've met people who, who have fallen in love with artists that just use, hear me give an example, Avenged Sevenfold, right? If you're a Zaki Vengeance fan, if you're a freak for Zaki Vengeance, well, the Zaki Vengeance guitar is like $800. That's sad because what if that's, what if, you know, that's your guitar guy and that's great. And then the sad part is what if you're in love with, uh, John Petrucci and his guitar is $3,000. Now I, that, that's not a good example because they make a less expensive John Petrucci, but you understand what I'm saying, right? The artist you fell in love with could drive the price of the guitar you want. So, so to, to answer the question is it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter as a whole. It just matters that you know how to use the gear correctly and adjust for it. Um, but the, and the, and the, at the heart of your question, which is, has anyone ever walked out because you use a solid stadium? Yeah, technically. Yeah. Because if your band sounds horrible, they'll leave. Right. Um, I've seen bands that can play great, but they're on cheap gear. Everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen that band. Uh, or been that band where you walk in and you see they're all kids and you know what gear they have. They have the clearance guitar center gear and the band sounds pretty good and they're tight, but their mix is horrible and the sound is not that great. And it's not just the cheap gear. It's that they don't know how to adjust the gear, even if they had nice gear. Right. Um, but nice gear, let me put it this way. An, an amateur with nice gear will sound better than an amateur with cheap gear. But a professional will sound better with cheap gear than an amateur with nice gear. I hope it didn't trick you guys by saying that the way I said it, but you guys get the point. So there you go. In other words, uh, yeah, use what works. Okay, so the next one. Um, uh, Jack's got a question. Wondering if you had any info with Schechter not being in the AM. It was an honor to meet you at the NAMM show. Oh, man, it was nice meeting you, too. Um, you know, like you, I, I didn't see Schechter at the NAMM, but I saw them in the lobby. They had a, a thing saying, visit us. And I was like, so I was told they were there later, but it was a private thing. But then I was thinking, like, I could probably go there and they probably let me in because, you know, I'm sure. Right. Um, but I got weirded out by it because I'm like, well, if I go there and they let me in, are they going to expect me to do a video or will they just not even care that I do YouTube? Um, it was just kind of an odd thing. So. It kind of, you know, here's the bad thing for them. The one, there were one of the guitars that I wanted most at NAMM was a Schecter with the new Sustainiac in it. It's like their Charvel co copy guitar for six ninety nine, And I just, the holdback is I just wanted to touch it before I bought it. So they could have sold the guitar. Not that that's a big deal, but 
Maybe it is. Okay. Um, all righty. We got a couple more minutes. Uh, Woom wants to know, have I ever tried the Wampler brand amps? They look amazing. Amazing. No, I haven't tried it. Um, it's like 1500 bucks and it's a pedal platform amp. So Rivera makes the same concept. So, you know, Rivera amps. And one of the things I like about the Rivera, Rivera version, if you haven't checked it out, is that, um, Rivera is, so, you know, as, as respect goes, I have so much respect for Rivera's building quality stuff. I mean, their amps are fantastic. Um, at the same price point as the Wampler amp. And it has reverb built in. So I, I like that feature. But um, that being said, I'm only saying that because um, I had, even knowing that about Rivera first, I hadn't been interested in buying a, a pedal platform amp. Um, so I was, I'm curious about the Wampler thing. Um, but again, I don't know. To me, the perfect pedal, pedal platform amp is the Hot Rod Deluxe. And the proof in the pudding is, Every single company that does pedals has that amp and they use it through. I was told that the Dirty Shirley was modeled through a, uh, um, or not modeled, but they tested it using a Hot Rod Deluxe. Brian Wampler uses a Hot Rod Deluxe for almost a lot of his videos. I think he uses it to test a lot of pedals. It's a great platform amp. Um, I believe he's even said that too. I've seen that too, where he said that. Um, so that's my, my thing on that. Um, but then again, I'm also curious because knowing that he likes that amp and I like that amp as a great pedal platform, it makes me interested to find out, you know, what is so, what did he want his amp to be like? You know what I mean? What he, what did he feel was coming short on the hot rod? Um, but I just don't have a way to try it. There are no dealers anywhere near me, even, even a day's drive away that it has the Wampler amp in it to try. And this NAMP doesn't count because it's just too loud to try anything. So, um, Um, Chris Ham says, Dirty Shirley isn't a JTM 45 kind of amp, question mark. I thought that was his thing. I don't know. Uh, the Dirty Shirley, you're probably talking about the amp. I'm not sure what he modeled after. You know, all the Freeman stuff is, to me, a JTM 45 is a very low gain kind of crunch. The Dirty Shirley is low gain comparatively to the higher gain BE series stuff. So the Dirty Shirley... I don't want to compare it to a JC100 because it's a different vibe to amp to me, but it's definitely that higher gain structure. Like I said, not metal, but definitely not light. You know what I mean? Chris is saying it's a classic Marshall sound. Yeah, I, that's kind of got the vibe I got. Was it just crunchy? But all of the Freeman stuff is like a class, classic Marshall sound, but with more gain. He gives you more gain than I think you 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 need with Freeman. You can turn him down. Um, Tulio wants to know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's, I'm too, I don't know. I don't know how to say the name. Phil, what do you think about Freeman guitars? I actually played one at the summer NAMM show. Dave Freeman asked me, asked too. He said, Hey, what do you think of our guitars? They're made by Grover Jackson. I don't know if you know that Grover Jackson makes those guitars. They are fantastic. They are 3000 something dollars. They are expensive. They're fantastic. So. Um, I wish they sold more of them because then there would be some more used ones for me to pick up. It's just, it's expensive. It's out of my budget right now. Um, would I get one? Yeah. Um, I've come to this conclusion, you know, between Sir and Friedman, I think I'd probably go with the Friedman. I like them both equally, but there's something about the Friedman just, you know, but they're both, it's both holdback is the price. 
Oh, somebody's saying I missed some super chats. Quentin James. Yeah, you know what? I'm trying to figure out where they went. I did miss some, so you guys know. Um, oh, here's one. Okay. So sometimes the super chats, they disappear on me. Uh, this one is uh, any experience with peeper? peeper. Let's, let's drink some water for a second. All right. Any experience with PV Viper tube amps? No. I have a PV Viper, but it's not a tube. It's a digital amp. Do they make a Viper tube amp? So the answer is no, because I didn't know it exists. I'm not sure. And I thought I missed another Super Chat. And if I did, I'm sorry. But what what's nice about Super Chat, so you guys know, is if I miss it for any reason, I'll be able to scoop it up later, and then I'll mention it next week. So, so like I said. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. So um, somebody's saying they made tube ones first. Yeah, I have no experience with them. Okay, so somebody's saying there was a super chat that says, Iron Beard asked, thoughts on the made in Korea Fender Strats are the same value as made in uh, Mexico Strats? <coughs> yes and no. My experience with the made in Korea Strats are two twofold. The quality is as good as made in Mexico. I have no, ex uh, no exceptions to that. The quality is fine. They don't feel the same, though. They feel vibed, not like the Japanese ones, but closer to. So if you don't know what that means, it's a hard thing to articulate, but I can tell you everybody out there who knows what I'm, you know, who's experienced them knows what I'm talking about. So main Korea strats are strats. They're a high quality. as good as made in Mexico, if not better, but they don't feel the same. The main Mexico's feel really close to the American strats. That's the thing. So I almost say the main Korea strats feel more like the uh, classic vibe and, and the high end squires in the fact that they have a high end feel to them, but they don't feel the exact same. They have some different cuts to the neck. The neck shapes a little different. So there you go. Um, you guys are funny. So uh, I'm laughing because Chris goes, Pixie loves the Viper amp. Uh, it's because I think he's had one for two years and he hasn't, uh, he hasn't reviewed it yet. But he's going to. It's coming. Steve from Boston will review it. Yes. So Ben's saying, it looks like the Freeman Cali guitars uh, have a Floyd Rose. Uh, bummer. They do. The one I'm looking at is the Tele-shaped ones. That's the ones. And that's another thing, too. I wish the... the I understand they're going for the Charvel vibe, obviously, because Grover Jackson building them. Uh, yeah, I would really like a non-Floyd version as well. Seems silly. But, you know, I never thought to ask them if they just make it, if you call them. Um but I've been really looking at the the telly. That's the one I've been looking at. So, all right. Uh, any anything else uh, going on? Uh, like I said, next month the Sharper Max will start up. They're being done now, so that they'll be out starting next month. So in March, there'll be tons of reviews. I updated the calendar. Uh, obviously, the calendar didn't make sense because I was sick. Now it's updated updated now so if you guys are curious you can check out the calendar on the uh no ask new year gear website to see what's going on there you'll see a lot of review videos coming because they've been uh, queuing up and um the other uh videos thing we're working on is is something to do with pedals and i think it's gonna be interesting but it's gonna be uh out going out to, to the people uh so he says, Phil, keep going till you pass out. You'll be cured faster. I'm actually fine. Like I said, I've been, like I said, I've been kept away from the public for almost a week. Okay. And let's do, we're at the time now. So we'll see if we can hit one more question or two. 
If I don't lose a voice. Um, know your Joe says, know your Joe says, what are your thoughts on the Steinberger headless guitar? Um, well, like I said, I'm looking at the Kiesel Vader. Uh, you know, it's weird. Headless guitars are weird. They just are. But, uh, for what I want to do with it, I think it's great. That's the only thing I think it's weird. But different than Steinberger's, the, the Strandberg's, the uh, Toast and Abbasi guitars and the Kiesels, one thing I like is they use these locks and you cut the strings through them and you lock the string and you cut them instead of having the dual ball end strings, which I think was the design flaw in Steinberger at the time. Creating a special string for a guitar was horrible. Watching this, the, the sadness in people's face when they would come into shops like mine and say, hey, look, I need a string for a Steinberger. And we're like, yeah, no one, no one stocks that, man. He's like, oh, I'll go to guitars. And I'm like, no one has it there either. You know what I mean? Um, so, so there you go. All right. So what do we got? One glass. Good question. Um, man, now you guys are pumping them out. You know, what's funny is Ben's got a, a comment that's great. He says they should make a headless guitar with a fake headstock, uh, attachable headstock. You know, that's a good idea. The closest thing that was Floyd Rose made a guitar that really didn't require headstock, but it had a fake one kind of on there, you know, with the sil silhouette. But an attachable fake one would be kind of funny. So, Showman Blue says, I feel sorry for headless guitars. They make me sad. You know, I think that's actually the thing, too. You know, I never considered the Vader because I just didn't really dig the headless guitar look, but... Uh, like I said, I, I was playing at the show. I was thinking, man, this is the perfect travel guitar. I mean, it's really expensive to be a travel guitar, but uh, I've been, you know, traveling so much lately. I, I kind of want a nice guitar with me where I go. And I've been taking, um, I've been taking my Framus everywhere I go. And um, you're starting to notice, <laughs> this is what I'm saying, that I'm, that uh, I've been beating that guitar up. It's not chipped or anything, but, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely getting traveled. So 930 of us, thank you guys for hanging out. So, oh, the, there's a be search of the blank headstock. That's also the, the Floyd Rose system. The Floyd Rose made a licensing deal with be search for a while. Um, the uh, next one was Brian says, did you check out the orange gear at NAM? I did. I, I really like the orange uh, stuff. I don't know why I don't own an orange amp. I, I think about that all the time. It's like this amp that doesn't make any sense for me because I'm, I like them. I like everything about them. The price seems fine. The, the, the quality is definitely awesome. I, I don't know why. So, you know what I probably should do is, is take a look at them one more time. Seriously again. So, okay. Well, that all being said, um, I'm just seeing that with all being said, thank you guys for hanging out. This one was a little longer one today, but I, I wanted to do, do a little bit more and hang out with you guys, make some announcements. Like I said, uh, got my base coming, which is exciting. Uh, there's a ton of reviews coming. I'm reviewing the, um, the pedal pals new, uh, uh, this is the gold overdrive. I can already tell you a little, little, uh, like a uh, spoiler alert. I like it much better than the silver one. I'm doing the new 
nano looper. Look how small this thing is. This is the Rowan nano nano looper. This thing is tiny. Uh, we'll be like all the new reviews with pedals. We'll be taking apart and looking inside of it. I'm doing the, um, the Walter tone effects pedal that's coming up very, very soon with, and these are all within the next week. Uh, this is a handmade pedal. Uh, this is fantastic. Again, we'll, we'll be taking a look at it. Well, I actually already did it. Um, the Buxom Boost, that's coming up. The Radar by More Pedals, More Pedals, right? Uh, really, really excited about this one because, you know, this is a lot of people are looking at this as an alternative for the two-note stuff. And um, and I've heard so many not amazing things about this. So it was really interesting uh, what I ended up thinking about it. So there you go. And uh, a bunch of other ones too. So that's just to name a few. Holy Boards uh, video. There's a Houston Kittner video. Like I said, you'll be seeing a ton of reviews uh, looking for them in the next week. You'll probably get sick of them real soon. Um, but because I want to get a lot of stuff out because in March, there's going to be a lot of new series videos coming out. Um, and one of the things is, it's an early announcement, but again, I wanted to make a lot of announcements today. Um, the last thing is, you know, we're doing the sharpen my axe. You guys kind of know everything about that. That's easy. That's a no brainer. However, we're, we're, we're looking at a new project and there might be a company helping do that. And this will do with pedals and, uh, kind of like a, a rig rundown, but not about doing that. Uh, it's about doing some, maybe some hangouts with people and going through their pedal boards and seeing what we can do to make them better and, uh, are better yet seeing why they do what they do. So you'll be seeing more about that too. So again, that's just a precursor of stuff. So um, uh, Bill says, oh yeah, I just got the nano looper. Yeah, th this one, the, the little teeny one. Dude, this thing is so tiny. Like I said, look at the, I mean, it's tiny. <laughs> so that's why I was interested. I, I, Like I said, at first I was like another looper, who cares? But the fact that it's so tiny just made me kind of chuckle um, why they needed to make it even smaller. So there you go. Yeah, should we say sharpen my pedal? That's kind of what it will kind of be like. So we'll see. I like I said, it'll be interesting. As always, guys, I want to thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Like I said, over 900 people, you guys are fantastic. You actually made me feel a lot better. It's a great way to end the week considering it was spent most of the time sick. Thank you again, as always. And, uh, and uh, until next time, know your gear. <laughs>